Hello, and welcome to this edition of the B2B Engagement Podcast. Today, we're going to be focusing on empowering customers through consultative selling, and we are very privileged to have with us Joel Cowan, who's the Vice President of Commercial Immuno at Diasorin, a global diagnostics company. Welcome, Joel. Thank you, Gavin. It's such a pleasure to be talking to you, and I thought we'd get started by perhaps if you could just tell us a little bit about your role, what it involves, and some of the key initiatives that you're involved with. Essentially, I'm responsible for all of the commercial operations, so sales. Really, my biggest project is driving the sales team and our commercial team all around working with how our customer landscape is changing. How can we do business? On our customers' terms. Well, the landscape has definitely changed as a consequence of a variety of macro forces and issues. And one of the ways that's manifested itself, I think, is that um, we used to have a very strong focus on products, on yeah. our features, our capabilities. But I think the, the focus has really shifted. Yeah, I think so. The industry has changed where people had a lot of autonomy. I go, I like something, I buy it to really, I'm trying to solve problems. People have significant financial constraints, or I've got staffing constraints. You know, if you look in the hospitals, there's two things you see: one, financial pressure, and they don't have staff to do work. Mm-hmm. And so those become big things to try to get new solutions prioritized. Yeah, and those are relatively new driving forces. Yeah, in, sometimes in sales, you talk about, hey, how can you do more and less? And really, we've created an environment where, especially in the hospital, they are doing a lot more, and they're doing it with a lot less. And that's not just people, it's resources, too. Yeah, so that has a lot of effect on pretty much everything about your go-to-market, I would imagine. One of the things I I think was interesting as we started to think about the the driving forces is tremendous amount of consolidation in your customer's industry, right? Yes. And and, uh, so how has that really changed their ability to, as you said, be autonomous or make decisions? And what effect has that had on your sales and marketing teams and approach and how you've been able to adapt to help them through that transition? If you look at what's happened in the industry, you see hospitals merging together, you see large national reference labs taking care of the services in the hospitals. And so what it's done is people looking at economies of scale, decisions are made at higher levels. I have one IT system and they standardize solutions. And as I mentioned before, they don't have the same amount of people to do the same amount or growing work. So decisions being made at a higher level, it went from I'm the king of the castle and can make a decision in the lab to I can make the decision of what I would like to do, but then I have to get the approval of other organizations, right? They have to go up. And so now they've gone from control to I have to make business cases and justify these decisions. And that's where you start talking about how do we do business the way our customers operate. And so we have to help them with that. And not only that, because of the shortness of labor and availability of people, they're doing so much more with less, it becomes about value, right? I might need your solution, but I don't have time to do these 10 different projects. So how valuable is your solution that I'm going to do a business case, justify it, and then do the work to implement it. So marketing and sales 
We have to really understand the individual customer needs and then show the value. Because if I can show the value, then the cost part goes away, right? We can justify it because it makes an impact that helps them in their daily lives. Yeah, something we've seen in a variety of industries. It's really no, no longer one set of say return on investment calculations or features. It's being able to understand who's involved in the decision process, understand what value means to them, and then working with those individuals, both as an organizational value proposition, but also for them individually, right? How's it gonna help them in their job? That must be quite a, a new environment for your teams to adjust to, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. When you, if you go back a couple of years ago, I was able to work within the four walls of a lab, sell my solution, bring in the pricing, everything's great. Depending on the individual institution, I might have to have two contracts. Here's an access contract at the health system that says we can do it. And then I've got to go back to the individual institution that says, okay, I've got that contract. Now I want to do it. And I'll sign a contract that's part of that, which means we have to really blanket a facility and understand not just who are my technical buyers, but there's usually a different economical buyer. There might be things like a value analysis committee. So how do we help our customers present the laboratory solution to a bunch of people who don't work in the lab, mm -hmm. right? They might see the results and benefit. Right. but it's not their world. So it really becomes a technical sell and then a business presentation as well. So we've really expanded and had to get out of our comfort zone to be effective sellers. Yeah, it sounds like quite a shift in the mental approach that you're using as a team. But I would also imagine what kind of people you bring on to your organization and how they need to be able to operate at these different levels, very strategic in one sense, and then being able to articulate your value in the other. And that must be quite a journey for you as a, as a leader and for your teams as well. It is, I think you said it right, the people that you hire and when you look at it, it's not just being able to sell features and benefits anymore. You really have to have a customized plan, right? Mm -hmm. So someone who can have the ability and strict mindset to say, what are the right features and benefits to sell to this individual? And how do I take a medical message to the lab and deliver that? Maybe I've got to talk to a purchasing person and say, here's how this lab result turns into an economic benefit and tailor messages constantly to a different audience. So we've really had to take a big journey from marketing and sales to say, how do we understand the whole sales journey and really understand all of the different buyer personas involved in there so we can take the same set of features and benefits and really drive, you know, we talk about clinical operational and financial benefits, but how do I take the product benefits and drive them to those three areas and then take them to the right individual? And it, it becomes complex because we have a hundred different things to say to someone. And I talk about this to the sales team. If you don't understand the one thing that matters and you cover all 99 benefits, you didn't sell anything. So we really have to understand who we're talking to now. And I would imagine that it's different depending on the healthcare system you're dealing with. You know, somebody's title may in the past have represented an authority to make a decision or whatever, but today that, that's different based on how large that organization is and how they're structured. And I would imagine that also requires a tremendous amount of 
skill just on the part of your team to identify and understand that that organization? Understanding and mapping the organization, right, is very critical. But I think the biggest challenge, and you talk about new skills, is there's a whole sales focus, right? This whole concept of a value proposition or hypothesis. But the whole goal of getting someone to say, okay, tell me more, right? Earning the right to talk to these customers. Because the further up you go, I'm covering more and more things. So unless you give me value up front, why is it important to me? I don't have time to talk to you. And that's changed the game. Well, I think that there's actually several issues there that are compounding each other. One of them is this notion of time to talk to people, right? So in the past, you could set up meetings with prospects and they would sit down and listen to you and you'd have a conversation or you might even have the, the time to give them a sales pitch. Right. But I think today, given all of these organizational changes and the lack of staffing in your customer base, it's probably harder and harder for them to allocate the time, even if they'd want to, to, to spend that time. So not only do you have to know who you're talking to and what they care about, but you have to be able to convey that message in a very succinct and articulate way so that you're getting to the heart of the matter right away. And I think that prompts them to then say, well, this is going to be worth my time. Let me ask that question. How do you achieve that value or what, what's involved, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, been one of our biggest focus of how do you get these people to say, I want to know more? You know, the other thing I think that's changed on time, it's around seven different interactions to change someone's mind. Anytime I go to buy something, I look on the internet first. I do my research. People are doing the same thing, whether it be a capital purchase for a lab or many of the things in the hospital. So our customers and our targets are far more informed than they ever have. So just saying your company name, it doesn't get you there. They already have an informed bias of your product, which really says on my marketing and sales and reach strategy, I've got to leverage and be very omni-channel. So when you go to knock on the door and you say your company, they say, I'm familiar with your company. Yeah, tell me more because I'm interested. And then those messages have to build off each other. So it is a very different environment that way as well. We've seen a tremendous shift in the what used to be silos between sales and marketing. And one of the organizational advantages I think you have is that it's all under your umbrella of the commercial team. But there used to be a distinct differentiation between the role of the marketing team and the role of the sales team. And as you've just talked about, when you are involved now in this really transformed and still transforming marketplace of a lot of B2C buyer behavior where they're doing research online, then they're having conversations, if you're lucky, with a salesperson or a team, you've got to make sure that those messages, the interactions that the customers and prospects have in any of those touch points are consistent with that overall strategy, which really means that it puts a lot of pressure on you and your team to create an integrated go-to-market approach. It doesn't matter where the customer is, they need to have that experience, which is value-driven and differentiated. That is critical. And I think it's where marketing and sales really is the success. Are they intertwined? Is marketing going out and seeing the face of the customer to go, yep, I walked in the salesperson's shoes. I've talked to a live, I get it, I hear it. 
here's how we can help you. And it's that partnership that I think drives the success and aligns the messaging. And that gets to the tools, right? The enablement tools to say, mm -hmm. yeah, they all build on each other. This is something that all big B2B companies are facing once we have complex solutions and these changing customer environments. So what have you done? Because I think you really are a leader and your company is a leader in this field in, in terms of being able to deliver that consistency. What do you do to align those marketing and sales teams to ensure that not only are they delivering the same consistent value story, but that they're working together um, rather than in their own departments and then just hoping that somehow yeah. you know, it solves that problem. Yeah. So I'm fortunate. I have a, a great leadership team, first of all, that really understands the value of working together. And by those two sales and marketing heads working together, that's where it starts. Right? So they interact together from understanding opportunities and sales funnels to then really building marketing material that helps. We've actually leveraged digital tools and digital messaging that helps guide the sales rep. And it's essentially a choose your own journey sales tool to help encourage the sales team to use it. We also allow inputs in it, which syncs back to Salesforce. So we're really harmonizing all of that. And that same messaging is what then goes into our digital. I sort of abstract that out to a couple of key lessons. One is to have marketing really understand the sales process. So yes. it's not driven by sort of marketing metrics. It's really driven by what the customer's journey looks like, you know, and how the sales team needs to address obstacles or key value challenges that they have to address. The second thing is that you've allowed the sales team to take advantage of the key messages that the marketing team has delivered. And here are key competitive differentiated advantages in how we solve these plethora of customer challenges and problems. And they're available to you to use when and if it's time in the process with the customer. And then the third thing is you've built this all on a digital platform, which allows you to be flexible so that it's easy to maintain and update when I say easy, I probably mean it's easier. It's probably not just the flip of a switch, but there's sure. a process to keep it current and expanded and updatable. So those three key ingredients seem to be lessons for our audience to think about as to how to make this integration of sales and marketing work in an environment where customers' journeys are hybrid. They're sometimes digital, sometimes yeah. in person, and often mixed and matched, right? No, you're right. And I think the other thing too, that's been really important in the success, you know, one of the other components is how do you train it mm -hmm. and how do you commit to those tools? So the training team is very much embedded with the sales team and we have a thoughtful rollout step-by-step, step, you know, certifying the folks on how to use it and the content and the information. And that makes a big difference, right? Make sure that they are comfortable and set them up for success because the first time they fail, right? If you use it once and you fail, you never use it again. Very hard to come back from that. And I think that, you know, you've also addressed another lesson that is part of our journey as that the new generation of integrated go-to-market sales and marketing commercial teams is that it's not about building tools and then handing them off. It's about that behavior change and how can we build tools that facilitate that behavior change and make it easy. But it's all about helping the customers understand our competitive differentiated benefits and what's the best way to do that. 
So the tools are a facilitator. They're the means to the end, but they are not the purpose, right? Yeah. Right. And, and built the right way, you... What's nice if the, about the flexibility of these tools is you always have a varying degree of sales reps, someone who's new to someone who's very experienced, where the flexibility says, hey, when I'm brand new, I'm going to go step by step by step by step. I've used this tool for 15 you know, months. I might start at step C because I know the customer. I'm already in this. And you have that flexibility. So that's where you get to help control that message. Um, and I think the other thing that this team did when they built this tool really well was they brought in salespeople in the development process, right? They, they helped develop it. And when they have input, we've gone in. And I think that's where you start to get to the value, right? If I can understand the customer's needs, what's important to them and help them solve a problem and you make the problem big enough, it becomes important, right? That's another point that I wanted to ask you about because I think we often forget that the status quo for customers is the easiest path for them, right? And what I'm curious about is you're a very big believer in this consultative sales approach, which is all about problems first and solving the problems. Very often what I've seen, and I wanted to get your take on this, is that the customers are not originally thinking of you as the solution to several of their problems. They're think, they understand they have those problems, but your solutions are not the first thing that comes to mind because it's a little bit non-traditional. Let's say, for example, the labor shortage. They're not looking to buy more immunoassay equipment or changing the way they do you know, immunodiagnostics as a way to optimize their labor situation. But you know, or your teams ought to know, we have a way of if they do adopt these innovative diagnostic techniques, it is going to be available given a lower labor pool, you know, or labor utilization. So is yeah. that part of your process is to train your teams to think at a higher level and help your customers think at a higher level about how to really address some of these more strategic issues? So the answer ultimately is yes. If you look at the customer buyer's journey, there's two ways this happens. I need to go buy something. Maybe I do research. I send out an RF, and you know, at that point, they've already pretty much made up their mind mostly. And if you're not there at the top, it's how do I change their mindset? Done right, we go in, and we're salespeople by nature, so we love to talk. Let me tell you why my product's so great. But if we take a step back, and the word you use, consultative, is spot on. Help me understand you. Tell me what your challenges are, because. If I can help you realize you have a problem, labor shortages are everywhere. It's a problem for everyone. But if you can get them to the point of, okay, if you don't address something, what's the problem? What's the, the impact? Well, it's this, this, this. Okay, if I could help you change that, would that help? Yes. Okay, let's figure out how to do it, right? I've given you the value that we provide up front, so you're going to talk to me. Give me some information. Oh, well, if we could help you solve this, this, and this, which would alleviate that, would that be a benefit? Yeah. Now you're becoming a partner. I'm not trying to sell something to you, right? I'm just here to help you solve a problem. And then when they see the value of the problem and the value of a solution, it's far less about what's it going to cost because the cost of not acting starts to be the issue, right? And now you, you're at the front of it. Okay, now we have a solution. I'm going to build a case around that. Well, you know, 
let me help you. This gets to the digital tool, right? Some of the outputs are, here's what this solution implemented in your lab would look like, right? We frame a business case for them. Because at the end of the day, you go back to what the lab used to do. They're focused on the lab, they're laboratorians, they're scientists, patient care, it's the results. I don't wanna make a business case to buy something. And so if we can help them all the way through that process, that's the consultative approach and they become a partner. And then that longevity becomes, and I'm here for you after, right? I'll continue to help, you know, hey, we did all of this benefit today. Can we look over here and see if there are other areas I can help you in? But that's where I'm bringing a bigger solution versus I'm just this little piece of the puzzle, right? And then you mentioned consolidation. We need to be mindful of if I've got a company partner, right? A different business unit and I can see, you know, can I bring in my partner, Gavin here, who might be able to help you here? I continue to consult and leverage all of the resources. And that's where it's the work smarter, be consultative. And they start to ask you, hey, can you help me with this? And that's where you get over this and you bring value to a customer. I think that's so critical. And I, I also think that you've articulated, but some people don't always express it this way, what value-based consultative is about. It's about understanding their problem and creating a vision in their minds of what their world would be like if they were able to change those dynamics, reduce the time to do testing or improve the throughput or allow fewer people to operate the lab. That's not about how you're doing it. That's all about benefits. And that's where the value comes in. And I think that a lot of people confuse sort of ROI with value. There is obviously an ROI component to the people who are making an investment and everything in the business domain has to have, you know, a financial component to it. But the value to the laboratorian might be time to science. The value to the clinician might be quality of the patient outcomes. The value to the facilities management team might be around environmental sustainability and other issues. So what that value means is first defined in terms of the new world, what it's going to be like or could be like, which is yeah. When you ask the question, if we could do this, would that be a value to you? Would you be interested? Because that's envisioning an outcome, a result, not a solution or not a process to get there. Once they have bought into that in their minds and they envision that, which sometimes they haven't yet got there, they know they have the challenge, but that consultation is helping them get there. Then you can, as you said very articulately, um, work together to create a solution. And the difference is if you start with the solution, there's a leap of faith that they understand the value. Absolutely. Very often not the case. And I think, you know, the leap of faith too is when we sell a solution, we have a platform and we have tests. And at the end of the day, it all does the same thing. But if I sell you a solution to do something and that's not your problem, I've already lost you. So it's beyond the leap of faith. It's I've given you something that's not important to you to try to sell because I didn't understand what was important to you. And I think you've also said it before, which I think is really critical, is when you're engaging with them, it's helping them get to that point of saying, okay, I need to do something about this, rather than waiting for them to come to that conclusion, because they've already framed a solution in their mind by the time they yeah. issue the RFP or whatever else. And so helping them frame that builds a different relationship between the companies, but particularly with the individuals, it's a trusted relationship. 
right? And I think that a lot of people were afraid that in this digital world, we're going to lose the ability to create that trust. You know, people are going to go off and they're going to do their own thing. But you don't seem to be as concerned about that, partially, I think, because it's a hybrid kind of environment. Yeah. Partially because you seem to be building that digital trust on the basis of even in the digital environment, making it all about the customer rather than you. I, I, I agree. And I think if you look at what you're trying to do with the solution, I said this earlier, I need to open the doors for that live face-to-face -face interaction. So to me, the digital is a way to get the information out and where the credibility and trust comes in is, here's what I saw, I read, I formed an opinion. If I come in and I have completely different messaging and what we're training the salespeople to do aren't aligned, that becomes a difference in the credibility. But if you have the messaging, and I mean it when I say they have to build on each other, right? Even from a similar look and feel of how you present it and package it, then the customer sees the tie. Ah, right. I connect with the dot. That's what I was interested in. He just or she just validated what I thought I read, right? And in that regard, you clearly have turned a large ship around and you're on a very, very successful path. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you as you've embarked on this journey with this transformation? You know, there's always the, well, we've always done it this way, right? And I think this goes to, we started this transformation from a marketing side. Mm -hmm. And when you're in marketing, it's building the trust between sales and marketing to do this. Because obviously when you're in sales, I'm in front of the customer, I know best and marketing are the folks in the ivory tower. They have never walked in my shoes. They don't know. That to me was how do we provide the value to the marketing customer, which is the sales team, right? And earn their trust and build credibility to say, okay, I'm going to get on your bandwagon. I'm going to follow you into this journey because I trust you and believe you. I think a lot of people confuse the word sort of digital transformation as being a technical problem, but it, it's really all about people, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It really is. You know, we are leveraging a digital resource. The transformation is digital is not going away. It's only getting more and more embraced as a sales enablement tool. That's how you transform your environment digitally. It's not, I need a better website or I need a way for a customer to order digitally. How do we embrace it and leverage the tools to better enable the human interaction, which in my mind will take it all the way over the goal line in a large business-to-business -business capital sale? I think you're right. I think it's a different human interaction than it was. I laugh, you know, the digital transformation. It's not how do I write a better canned email and have my sales team. I, just the other day, I got an email that said, Joel, blah, 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 insert company name here. Right? They, they, you know, they left it in there. That's not it. It's not how do we get more emails in front of people and hope they get opened. It's how do we embrace the resources to really reinforce and have the continuity of messaging. Yeah. And, and we, we sell based on how our buyers want to buy. Take advantage of that. And that's how you're able to leverage the sales cycle because that buying journey has changed. And if I could perhaps transform slightly that message, but we're, yeah. as you said earlier, I think quite um, presently, 
it doesn't stop there, right? The problem solving doesn't stop when they buy. Right. <laughs> That's part of the process. The problem solving is all about their transformation. So if they see us as a partner in that transformation, then they don't even think about it as a buying process. It's one of the 27 things they have to do to transform. Yeah. So our relationship is, how do we help you transform? Yes, we might have to buy a few of these things. I might have to call Joel in because he's an expert in this area, but I'm your partner in solving these problems. And I think that's a different mindset for our sales organization too. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And if you think about the problem selling and identifying problems and helping people see it, and if you want to close more business, right? If you sit around and wait for RFPs, you can be successful and you know try to figure out ways to have a higher win rate, or you can go out and be consultative and create sales cycles. And it, that's the way. You know, I can have my same win rate, but if I have more sales cycles because I've created them, I'm a partner all the way through that process. I helped you with the see the opportunity. I helped you create the sales cycle you're now bringing me along with the journey. Well, I talked to a lot of executives and marketing and sales leaders in the industry, and you've clearly made much more progress than many people have in solving these problems. And uh, as we close, I wanted to ask you, what, what advice would you give other B2B executives who are facing similar market challenges? What are the things that you would advise them to do um, in leading their teams? Yeah, I think a couple of things. It's really making sure you have the right people on your team. I'm very fortunate. I brought in some great leaders who really understand these spaces and built a team environment where they recognize their success is dependent on each other. Marketing can't be successful without sales and sales can't be successful without marketing. And I think that's a, a very powerful and potentially uh, transformative competitive approach as a strategy for a lot of these organizations. It's been such a great pleasure talking to you. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Gavin.